everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast. By now, you know who I am, most of you, but for those of you who are brand new here, we talk about healthcare and parenting, pregnancy and advocacy, politics and women's lives, families and friends, work and motherhood. We talk about all that and a whole lot more. I am a registered nurse with about 20 years experience working in labor and delivery. I am the mother of many and the author of a few books on pregnancy and birth that are on shelves here in bookstores in the United States. Um, The one that started this big conversation is called Common Sense Pregnancy. Go on out to your, oh, you can't go out. It's coronavirus time. Order it on Amazon, will you? Pick up a copy. Um... I am recording this week in my home studio, and my neighbors are out in their yard, sitting six feet apart at least, and they're having a good old time. So if you hear some laughing and clapping and some sort of game playing, well, that's what's going on around here. Um, we don't have a guest this week, but there's quite a few things that I want to discuss with you. So last week, we talked about the coronavirus with my good friend and favorite certified nurse midwife, Chris Beard, who works in the a local hospital here in Portland and sees a lot, a lot of patients. We got the facts straight, and then we answered a listener's email about home birth versus induction. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit more about coronavirus, um, but I want to take a little bit of a different take than you're hearing on the news. Now, Just so I don't get listeners all riled up thinking I'm not taking this thing seriously, don't worry, I am. I'm isolating at home, I haven't been out in weeks, I'm bleaching things down like crazy, I'm doing my part, and so is my family. Don't worry. Here's the thing though, while, you know, just like you and everybody else in the world, I hate what's happening out there in the world right now, and I'm worried for the health of, you know, our population, especially the most vulnerable members. Um, But right now, I actually kind of love what's happening here at home and in my community and a little bit in the world at large. So I want to talk about that today, and I'm calling it the silver linings of the coronavirus. Um... Yeah, there are. There are silver linings to this. Just like any situation in the world that's very, very hard, um, there's beauty in the midst of it. And all you have to do is look for it. So I'll help you find some of that a little bit today if I can. Um, First, though, I thought we ought to address some FAQs, frequently asked questions that a lot of you have about being pregnant and having a baby during this pandemic. If you are among the million or so women in the U.S. who are having a baby in the next few months, you're probably worried as can be for yourself and your family and your little one, your baby. I get it. I get it. Um, But here's what we know right now. And mind you, things are changing every day. But this is what we know now. Um, Similarly to flu, Pregnant women who get the virus might be at increased risk for respiratory infection. Plus, um, like we discussed, or because I should say, like we discussed last week, their immune systems are busy with the baby uh, and they have diminished lung capacity, which means they can't take as, as many 
deep, deep breaths and the heart beats faster. And, you know, for those reasons, um, pregnant women might be a little bit uh, more at risk for the more serious complications that impact a small segment of those who are getting infected. But so far, there are no reports of deaths from coronavirus among pregnant women. And the good news is that it doesn't seem like pregnant women are at any higher risk for getting coronavirus than other people in the general public. And if they stay home and away from people who might be contagious, their odds for staying healthy are good. Um, That's the thing, though. No messing around here. Stay home. Stay away from people who are out in the world and practice excellent hand washing, house cleaning, and social isolation. I know that that is devastatingly difficult, especially in this economy. We're all terrified. Things are changing fast. I'm not going to give you any economic advice because every family I know is impacted by this. But I have faith that somehow or another we're going to make it through this. Okay? Practice social isolation. Don't go to work if you're pregnant, if you absolutely don't have to. Okay, what about when you have your baby? Well, I'd like to break this down, you know, to sort of, you know, prenatal in labor and after baby. Okay. Um, Part one, will your baby get infected in the uterus if you get the virus? No, it doesn't appear that way. Um, They've done some tests and the tests indicate that um, they don't see any signs of the virus in amniotic fluid or the placenta. So babies and uteruses seem to be protected by their mothers. Okay. Um, What about prenatal care? What should you expect from prenatal care right now? Well, again, things are changing quickly and healthcare systems are scrambling to work this all out. Um, I think that a lot of it, if it hasn't already, will be moving online, video conferencing, telemedicine, and onto the phone. Um, Women, I think, are going to be expected to do a lot of their own healthcare monitoring, like taking their own blood pressure, dipping their own urine, and watching out for, um, you know, signs of problems, like symptoms of preeclampsia. And they'll be doing this while talking to the healthcare providers, you know, though you're still partnering with your midwife or doctor or obstetrician or whoever it is that is seeing you for prenatal care, they are still your healthcare providers. You just won't be sitting on the uncomfortable exam bed in their office. You'll be sitting on your couch or on your bed and you'll be talking it through. Um, women are going to be stepping on their own scales too. And I would guess I think that they're going to be getting a lot fewer extra and perhaps unnecessary interventions like, you know, redundant ultrasounds and other tests that they might not actually need. Some women, no doubt, are going to have serious issues. They're going to fall through the cracks and it's going to be awful, Um, but not most. And not all prenatal care will be done remotely. Um, women who need help and those who are nearing the end of their pregnancies uh, should still be and will will still be seen in person by their obstetrician or family doctor or midwife. 
What we're going to learn from this, though, is how much of the interventions and monitoring we do routinely of normal pregnant women, how much is actually resulting in better health outcomes, healthier moms and babies, and how much is happening just because it's available and it's on the list of things to do and we've kind of gotten used to it. Um, You know, when you think back before about, oh, 30 years ago, Ultrasounds were done, you know, only once in a while, not several times during a pregnancy. And before 50 years ago, they didn't happen. 100 years ago, induction wasn't a thing and C-sections were rare. Now, way back when, yes, a lot more women died in childbirth from infection and hemorrhage caused by, you know, lack of hygienic practices, lack of blood transfusions, lack of adequate access to emergency services. Things are different now. I'm I'm curious to see what we're going to learn from this experience of less in-person and more DIY prenatal care. And one of the things that I anticipate happening that I think is a real silver lining is that women are going to be more engaged with their own what's happening with their bodies. They're going to be taking more responsibility for taking care of themselves. And healthcare providers are going to come to realize that women are way more competent than uh, they sometimes give us credit for. For instance, that weighing yourself thing. You know, I've asked many, many healthcare providers, why don't you just let women self-report? And the assumption is made because they'll lie. Hmm. I'm not so sure. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But let's not make assumptions. Let's see what happens. Um, Okay. This is a good spot for a real, real quick break. So let's do that and then we'll get right back to it. Okay, we are back. Now, we're talking about, you know, coronavirus during pregnancy. And the next question um, we're going to talk about is, what should you expect when you're in labor and giving birth? Well, there's a lot to talk about in this area right now. Um, there will almost definitely be serious limits on the number of people in your labor support team. Um, don't anticipate having any more than just your partner or main support support person with you. It's possible hum, some. Whew, I'm stammering. Some hospital systems will allow you know a couple of people, but that probably means you're going to have to make some pretty strategic choices as to who's going to be with you in the hospital. And once they're with you, a lot of hospitals are saying, fine, you can come to the labor room, but you're going to stay in the labor room. You're not going to go out in the hall. You're not going to go down to, you know, get flowers and candy in the gift shop and then come on back up. Because every time you do that, you risk the chance of, you know, being exposed to somebody who's infected and then bringing it back up to the labor unit. So, Um, plan on having fewer people and pack your labor bag, your hospital bag real strategically. Um, get a lunch ready if, if for your partner so that everybody's got clothes, everybody's got food. There won't necessarily be any coming and going. Um, let's see what else, uh, in addition to, you know, limiting the potential virus spreaders that walk through the doors, um, Let your family know they're not going to be sitting in the waiting room. Seriously, they're going to have to wait by the phone at home. 
um, in some cases, I can see that that is a real good thing because that can get to be just kind of overwhelming. Um, people mean well and they can't wait to see how you are and meet your baby, but sometimes it's just disruptive. So for some families, that'll be a good thing. For other families, it's going to be a heartbreak. Um, what about the maternity unit? Well, the maternity unit itself will be scrupulously clean, as it always is. And um, as long as your hospital has a good supply still of protective gloves and masks, everybody should be protected from getting the virus from caregivers. But that said, hospitals and rural settings are already running out of supplies. So we're going to have to put a pin in that topic and see what happens with that. The other thing that's pretty interesting uh, that I'm kind of monitoring along is the debate that health systems are having right now about induction versus spontaneous labor. Now, most of y'all know this, but induction means that your healthcare provider gives you medications or ruptures your membrane to either um, to get your your labor started when you're not already in labor. Okay. Um, and sometimes you just must have that done for medical reasons. Spontaneous labor means your labor starts when it wants. It starts on its own. And usually that happens when your body is, you know, at the optimal stage for labor, ready to dilate and have your baby. Not always. There's always exceptions to that rule. But most of the time, spontaneous labor works out better for most women. Um, the problem with induction is, so so let me back up. Some providers are in the camp that thinks that it would be safer to induce most or many women at 39 weeks so they can control the number of women who are in labor and utilizing hospital services at any given time. The problem is, though, that Inductions on women whose bodies aren't really ready for labor, no matter what drugs or techniques are used to induce them, they tend to end up in the operating room. Not always, you know, a lot of a lot of inductions, the most of them work out great. But if a woman's body just isn't ready, it's not going to dilate. And at that point, um, it very often ends up being a C-section. And once they have a C-section, then they're going to have to stay in the hospital for a few days, which increases risks for coming in contact with sick people. Not to mention, um, a concern that I have is that hospitals are going to be running out of protective health care and emergency equipment. And I'm worried that that's going to impact some women's experiences. Um, I have faith that the American healthcare system is going to hustle up solutions to this. But in the meantime, you know, we need to be mindful of that. Now, C-sections are great when you really, really need them. But don't kid yourself. They are major abdominal surgery. It's kind of weird um, and probably unavoidable. But almost every other surgery done these days has gone the route of micro incisions and less invasive surgeries. They actually call them micro surgeries sometimes. Um, not so with C-sections. You got to get a big old baby out of a large cut in the abdomen. And the procedure just hasn't changed much in decades. Um, you know, they used to cut uh, through the abdomen and uterus in a vertical incision, you know, from under the belly button down to the pubic bone in a straight line down. Now it's across the very, you know, with the bikini line 
um, you know, about four inches or so. It's a big incision. Um, so when you have a big surgery like that, women are at risk for the usual su- surgical complications. And that's why the other camp says spontaneous labor is better than inductions and C-sections because um, fewer women will need surgery and women who deliver vaginally tend to go home a lot faster. And they also use fewer hospital uh, resources, which is real, real important right now. So this is all giving providers a lot to talk about with their colleagues and hospital administrators and, you know, all of that insurance providers. But most importantly, they should be talking with the women that they take care of and having really frank and honest discussions about that. Now, as always, I think that the safest bet most of the time, not all the time, is to let your own body be your guide as to when labor should start and at what pace it should take. Um, But if you and your provider realize that your body or baby are in real trouble, then by all means, switch gears and take advantage of the modern day interventions that have helped countless mothers and babies. Okay, what else? What about when you and your baby get home? So this, I bet, is going to be the hardest part. And um, the one that I think will require the most thoughtful planning Um, The good news is that breast milk has been tested and there's no evidence of virus there. So that's good. Um, And breast milk tends to provide babies with, you know, some immunities from their mother, which is also good. But we're also discovering that babies can contract the virus if they're exposed to respiratory droplets from an infected person, just like anyone. Um, Early data from China suggests that most children and babies have only mild symptoms Um, And they do pretty darn well. But there have been some cases where children have gotten very ill um, and worse, sadly. So that means that uh, social isolation during the postpartum period um, is key. It's critical. It must happen. And what's hard here is that this is a time when women are most at need for a support system. You know, I've talked on this podcast here so many times about the importance of the safety net, but um, you're going to kind of have to weave your own self-isolation quarantine kind of safety net here. And I'm, I'm, I can see that that's going to take a lot of preparation. Um, You know, traditionally and historically, this is when your mom or your mother-in-law or your sister or your girlfriend or your, you know, someone comes to stay for a week or a few months to take care of mom while mom learns to take care of herself and her baby. But we're not going to be able to do that now. And hopefully you have your baby's um, father with you or your partner, or you have one person that's there with you. Some of you I know are going to be home alone, Um, but hopefully you've got one person, but keep in mind that one person is a brand new parent too. So You're going to have to do some teamwork and some strategic planning. And, you know, partners and mothers will be alone with their babies. And going out in the world to get supplies and healthcare support isn't going to be an easy um, decision to make. This is going to be tough. And I wish I had the right answers for you. But what you can do, we know, is this Um, be prepared by talking to your healthcare providers in advance 
about your healthcare conditions and your mental health. If you already deal with anxiety, depression, or other mental health complications, um, if you have physical conditions that put you at increased risk for postpartum problems, or if you're in a situation where staying safe at home isn't possible or is going to be harder than hell, um, you need to set up shop in advance. You need to get your uh, your healthcare providers on board to help link you to resources. Um, that might be something like uh, online mental health support with a counselor that you teleconference with. That might mean uh, getting information about antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications in advance. It might mean that if you're not going to be safe at home, that you need resources to find a different place to live, possibly even a domestic violence uh, shelter. So put those pieces of the puzzle in place early um, because that's going to be what you have to do. Um, let's see. Phone calls, good old-fashioned phone calls. I think that this is going to be really, really important. Um, you're going to call people, I hope, frequently. Voice-to-voice -voice contact. Texts aren't enough because you know we can all fake it on a text. You need to be talking to your people so that if any problems arise, or even if you're just having a lousy, sleepless day and you're exhausted and you don't know what to do, you call somebody who does and you talk it through. And it's going to help a lot. Um, delivery service. Let's talk about delivery service for groceries and pharmacies and diapers. And best of all, I want you to set up some support with your neighbors. Tell your immediate neighbors, if possible, I want you to email them or text them or call them or sharp, shout from your back porch, whatever, just don't get too close. Tell them that your baby is coming and that you're going to need help. Um, I will bet you that most of them will be thrilled to drop groceries and diapers off in your porch and pick up extra dog food and, you know, put a stack of books, whatever you need, whatever else they can to help. There's a new baby in the world, and that's a sign of hope that everyone can appreciate. I think that at a time of crisis, the most beautiful things that you can see are how people reach out to help each other. Let them help. Um, I guess that's one of the silver linings, isn't it? Let's talk about a few others. I was mentioning that I wanted to talk about silver linings earlier. One of them is uh, this. We're seeing a reduction in travel caused by this virus, and it is drastically reducing our global carbon footprint, at least temporarily, and made a huge difference in terms of what we're doing to the planet. Um, I hate that it's taken to this to do it, but we're not wasting as many fossil fuels, and that's a good thing. Um, people are hanging out at home together instead of being busy, busy, busy. And for the most part, I'm hoping that's a good thing. Um, people are reading books and putting puzzles together and digging in the garden and cooking at home and listening to music and playing games and cleaning their houses. Imagine that now we have time for that. And this kind of, you know, enforced domesticity is an opportunity to focus on things that kind of matter. 
When you don't keep yourself swamped, busy, 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 you can really slow down a little bit and look at the beauty of things that you already have. Um, Improve the relationships that you already have. I mean, that's what we're doing, guys. We're here at home. And when they say home is where the heart is, this is the time to really work that muscle. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, um, this is an interesting thing that I'm really noticing this week. Teenagers are hanging out with their parents. Now I spend a lot of my time sitting on my back patio, which looks out on the street. And I have seen so many adolescents and teenage kids going for neighborhood walks with their folks. And before you saw them, you know, walking quickly to the bus or to school, you saw them with their friends, you saw them, um, you know, out in packs. But now I'm seeing them take a walk with mom or dad. And that just you just didn't see that much before. Um, I think that's an okay thing to do. It's kind of different, right? Um, What else? Well, the dogs and cat in my house are delighted they have us home all the time. And since I truly think that dogs rule the world, um, I think the fact that we're home where they can keep an eye on us, it means they've probably got this. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. What else? Well, for me personally, several of my kids got home uh, to our big old house here in Portland before travel became too risky. Um, so my house is full of my kids for the first time in years and we're cooking together and we're working from home and we're enjoying each other's company and respecting each other's privacy. And as the mother of grown kids, it's kind of a dream come true. Um, the hard part about raising your kids is that just when they're getting fabulous, they're past the difficult teenage years and they're emerging as adults they leave home. Now, I love my adult kids. They're excellent people, and I'm delighted to hang out with them during this uh, in time, time where we're all self-isolating. And that's my personal silver lining. And you know what? I think I'll leave you all with that. That's it for this week, folks. Next week, we'll talk about more. Hang in there, everybody. I know how hard this is for many of you, and I want you to know that I'll be sending you my thoughts and I'll be lighting a candle for all the new parents out there and sending you all the love I can. Now you sent me your emails and questions at gene at genefaulkner.com. Tweet me at genefaulkner. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. And Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Be well, y'all, and let's talk again next week. Bye-bye.